All right, well, today is Mission Sunday as part of our uh, Thanksgiving offering celebration. So the Sunday before Thanksgiving, we always take time to bring in uh, either one of our missionaries that we support or one of the people connected through our denomination in the missions program. And so we support several different missionary families doing things all around the globe. And one of the families we support are Eric and Julia Rose. And so we were talking this morning. We couldn't remember if it had been three or four years since uh, Eric and Julia had been here, but uh, Eric and Julia. Julia, if you've grown up at Meadowbrook, you know Julia very well. Julia grew up here with her family. Eric is from out west, and for many years they served with uh, what was once called Campus Crusade for Christ. It's now called Power to Change, and doing campus ministry all around, and so they live in Montreal now, and now they serve through GAIN, which is the Global Aid Network, and it's just involved in church planting and projects all over the world, and so Eric is specifically connected in Africa, and that is his area, but uh, we are very excited Eric, when he got here today, said, um, I just have a ton of scripture. Is it okay if I bring that much scripture to the church? And I said, yes, we'll be fine. That will be great. And so we're excited for the word that God has put into Eric's heart. We're excited for a bit of an update of what God has been doing in their ministry. So would you please join me in welcoming Eric and Julia Rose to us today? Good morning. Boy, I feel like we've already heard a sermon this morning just with the worship. And uh, so thank you, you guys. Um, well, Chris kind of uh, took my first words from me. For those who don't know me, um, my maiden name is Whitfield. My family moved here when I was 12, and Meadowbrook became our home church. And so this church has. Uh, right from that time on, had a significant influence in my life. And um, this summer marked my 35th year on staff with Power to Change, or Camps Crusade for Christ. Yeah, I, I know I don't look it, but it happens. And um, this church, as well as individuals within this church, became some of my first supporters way, way back. And... Um, we have, I have benefited from 35 years of your prayers and your gifts towards our ministry. And as time went on, then that included Eric and each one of our kids that came along. And so we want to say a huge thank you for your faithfulness in um, praying for us and in giving towards our ministry. Um, it is not something that we take for granted your support and encouragement all over all these years has been um, tremendous for us. Um, the final impact of your faithfulness may be never fully known until we meet in heaven. But um, Eric and I know what it has meant to us personally to know that you stand behind us in everything that we do. So thank you. Um, and uh, along with that, we have always and we still believe that God is our ultimate provider. But we are very thankful that you have been willing to let him use you as a channel of blessing into our lives and our ministry. Okay, I just wanted to either introduce you to or just update you on our kids. Um, we have four plus one children. Um, Bea is our plus one. Um, they, all five of them still live in Montreal. We really like all five of them still. 
and all five are still loving Jesus. And again, we are also very thankful because we have had people like you in our kids' lives over all the years that, that we've had them. And um, people like you who have been praying for us as parents and praying for them as kids. And we really believe that their following the Lord now is in large part due to the prayers that people have invested in our family. So thank you for that. To begin with, Helena is our oldest. Sorry, this is all, it's looking a little red. Everybody looks sunburned. They're not. It was taken last Christmas. They're actually very pasty. <laughs> um, Helena graduated as an elementary school teacher from uh, McGill, and she has worked the last five years in a, in a small Christian school where 70% of the kids were from non-Christian families. A major mission, uh, mission field for her, and she loved it. And she made it her mission field. But um, since Helena's teenage years, she has really had as her passion the ministry of compassion. And um, in, in a very surprising set of circumstances, and yet definitely a God-directed set of circumstances, she has um, just begun to, well, not necessarily, this week she begins to work for Compassion Canada. And um, she is very excited. She's reeling a little bit. This all came to fruition in just two weeks ago. And so she's made that, making that transition over to this ministry. And she's, it really is a dream come true for her to be able to do this. Jason is, um, two years ago this month, during COVID, he and Bea were married. And um, all of us in the family knew and loved Bea even before they started to date. So that is a wonderful way to begin one of your kids getting married. Not realistic for the rest of them, but um, both Bea and Jason are working full-time. Jason in finance and Bea is a computer software developer. Um, and together they're very active as small group leaders in their church and uh, mentoring others within the church, and they use hospitality a lot to um, reach out to their neighbors and co-workers um, to sort of draw them into the love of Jesus as much as they can. Brianna uh, is our third. She's just graduated from McGill as a nurse. She started a job in July in labor and delivery, and she actually chose this area. She was offered, as you can tell in this day and age of desperation for nurses. She was offered lots of places. But she chose labor and delivery because um, if God ever leads her into an international ministry, um, women's health opens doors, especially in countries that are closed. And so she's really asking the Lord to lead her in that way, if it ever happens. She just wrote her licensing exams last week and is hoping that she passed. Um, she is a part of, she and Jeremy go to our church that we attend, and she is a part of the worship team and a leader in the young adults group there. She shares an apartment with Jeremy, who is our youngest, and um, he also just graduated from McGill and started a job in September. So for both Bree and Jeremy, these months have been a steep learning curve about life as non-students. For several years now, Jeremy has been a Sunday school helper and is now a teacher in our church, and he's also helping with the high school ministry in our church. Um, I, as sort of an aside, I have to say that all our kids 
Um, we're privileged to work every summer at a Christian camp as cabin leaders and as lifeguards. And then they were also part of our Parliament Change Ministry at McGill as students. And both these ministry settings encouraged and built them up in their faith, developed them as people and in leadership opportunities, challenged them to live outside their bubble and outside of themselves, and helped them to learn to trust the Lord in areas that they hadn't before. And as a parent, I would just encourage you as parents, if you ever have opportunities to have your kids work in a non-traditional job, at a camp or in a setting like that, it is, it is amazing how much they, um, people besides you build into their lives or serving in the church. And so we are, as parents, very grateful for how God has used so many people like you um, to build into our kids to make them the people they are today. So that's us. I could listen to Julia all day. Oh, I'm at the age where I can't actually see anything anymore. I'm still trying to figure out how to make glasses work with preaching up front and stuff like that, and I don't have a clue, to be honest with you. I have about 10 pairs of these. They're from Costco, about five bucks each, and they're just scattered all over the place for whenever, wherever I need them. Sometimes I have two on top of my head, which is rather strange. Uh, thank you. Chris is going to tell me to keep that mic higher, so I will try and do that. Um, just to, again, uh, I think one thing that Julie was trying to communicate through this a little bit is that our children, we're really thankful for how they're doing, and, and we really believe that, that a good part of that is because of the prayers of people like you. We are in a unique and privileged position as, as you know, missionaries in the sense that people pray for us all the time. I mean, that's, not everyone gets their kids prayed for by whole churches, and yet we've had our kids pray for by whole churches. And so we're, we're, um, we're grateful for how well they're doing. We're grateful to the churches and people like you who prayed for our kids so many, so many years. Our history with, with Power to Change, I think uh, we, um, Chris mentioned some of that. We were with, uh, Julia started at Guelph, and I was in Ottawa at that time, and then we moved to Kingston uh, together, got married there and worked at Queen's University, and then we, worked at, uh, then we started the ministry in, uh, at Laval University and finally ended up in Montreal. And that's kind of a 25- to 30-year period. Um, and then about four years ago, five years ago, um, God uh, led me a different direction to work with GAIN Canada. Now, GAIN is, um, is the humanitarian division of power to change. And so it's still power to change, but they're the humanitarian division of power to change. Uh, it started in 1998. And um, GAIN exists, the, the mission statement is, GAIN exists to reveal hope by sharing God's unconditional love through the proclamation of the gospel and restore life by demonstrating the gospel through compassionate action to those living in poverty, justice, and crisis around the world. And all that to say that the call that God has particularly put on this ministry is that we would meet people's physical needs, but that we would always also meet their, try, try to meet their spiritual needs, that we would offer, always offer um, the message of Jesus Christ and, and a demonstration of his love through both word and deed in order to bring people to faith in Christ. There's three core strategies to, uh, to gain. We don't do everything. We're a fairly small organization. Um, first is economic empowerment. Um, and basically that involves mostly things like microloans, um, skills training, particularly for women who have no other means for um, taking care of themselves or in those kind of situations where they're alone and they, it's often with kids. And so we try and help them. Uh, disaster relief. Um, this year, for example, we were involved quite a bit with the uh, um, uh, Abbotsford floods and also the whole situation in the Ukraine, which many of you would be very familiar with. 
And um, my understanding is that uh, so far, um, working with our partners in Germany, we've been able to send over 65 or 70 trucks into, into the Ukraine with, with goods and, and uh, means to help the people who are there. My role um, with GAIN is, is fairly simple. My role is to be responsible for the church planting side of things. And so I don't know anything about drilling wells. I don't know anything about uh, water and sanitation and health and hygiene. My job is to be responsible for drilling well. Uh, sorry, be responsible for the church planting side of things. And so um, what that means is I have a kind of a unique situation where I'm, I, over, I oversee um, uh, two countries, Sierra Leone and Liberia, which are part of the Jesus Film Church Planting Strategy. And it's kind of been slowly grafted into GAIN, but right now it's mostly a church planting movement. And then I'm responsible for... Um, for, the, for working with Water for Life, um, which I didn't mention, which was the third <laughs> of the things that were involved, Water for Life, which is basically bringing water to people. And so that's my, my role is to work with Water for Life to make sure that we're also bringing the gospel and planting churches. Um, in both places, we have a, we have a similar strategy. Um, it, it's fairly simple. Our, um, when we basically either with, with wells, it's a little different because with wells, uh, the first step is working with the government to decide where they want to plant or where, where they want to drill wells, and then working with denominations to see who wants to plant churches in those areas. Um, in the areas where we're working, doing just the Jesus film, it's a little simpler, and, and, and that's what this, this uh, diagram illustrates. Is um, is basically we um, we f work with local and national denominations. Um, and they help us to find mother churches who want to plant churches in places where there are not churches, not you know, within 20 miles of where they are. And so that we work with them. We train six to ten people in their church to become action group members. And then we go with those six to ten people and we, do, we uh, show the Jesus film over a two or three day period. We build relationships in the village and spend as much time as we can during the day there. And, uh, and as a result of the Jesus film, we'll often see quite a few people will come to faith in Christ. And then we begin to follow up those new believers and as we follow up those new believers, one thing that's not in this diagram that we've added is we also come back to the village and we show a film called the Walking with Jesus Africa film series. And I don't know if you've seen that or not, but I encourage you to, to look for that on the internet. It's Walking with Jesus Africa. And it's made in Africa and it's a follow-up series, but it's really well done. And when, they, when we show it in Africa, they just kind of, you can just see a collect, collective gasp that this is their reality. And it's the story of how a, a chief who comes to Christ and the and things he has to do to actually apply basic life principles of being a Christian into his life. And it's very, very good. Um, and that, that, that often we see a number of people come to Christ through that. We follow them up, and then we form a new church. And then we'll, find, and then we'll work with the leaders of that church for a couple of years to give them um, training at different times during the year. And finally, that church often will become a ascending church itself, and we'll plant a new church. And that's the basic strategy that we're using. Um, in the, uh, in, in the five countries that I'm responsible for, we've seen about 215 churches planted in the last, um, well, this last year. And, uh, and, and that's phenomenal. Now, we do have um, about 20 teams, of two, two people teams planting churches, and these are all nationals to the country they're in, and they all speak the language. But it, we're, we're, uh, we're thrilled uh, at seeing that kind of response. We continue to see the response on a regular basis, whether it's the... Um, whether it's just where we're doing the Jesus film in Sierra Leone, Liberia, or where, the, where we're working with the water in, the, in Togo, Benin, and Tanzania. In both those places, we're seeing a fantastic response to the gospel. Um, I think, the, uh, I think the, the highlights for me um, working in Sierra Leone, Liberia, is a few years ago we decided that we really wanted to reach place, the people in these countries that no one else was trying to reach. 
And so we made a commitment that we would do that. We found um, some donors who would help to finance that and to specifically reach out to these places. And so we, there's four, four different people groups, two in Liberia and two in Sierra Leone, that we have spent the last four years um, plant, planting churches among these people groups. And it's, it's just, it, it's been fantastic. The, um, we are told um, in, in one of the... Um, one of the people groups is the bomb people in uh, Sierra Leone, and we can just slowly wind ahead to get to the to the map there. And um, we were told this would be a very difficult group of people to reach, and there were no Christians in this group. And um, and so what we, we we weren't really sure how to do this, and we weren't even really sure where they were. And I was on a I don't usually go to Africa because they don't really need me there. I'm, I just don't blend in. I don't speak the language, but I did go on this particular trip because uh, we weren't sure where where we were sending people. And we found the, the group of people in the, in the um, I don't know if you can see the map on the top right, it's, it's a little small, isn't it? But that's, uh, that's Sierra in yellow, uh, Sierra Leone in yellow, and then the purple part is where the bomb people live. And then the, that, we've made that bigger, and all those purple spots now are where, uh, where there are churches. All those villages are where there are churches. Isn't Google Earth great? Every, every church that's planted, we're, we're sent uh, testimonies from people who have become believers in the church, and we're also sent the coordinates of the church, and we can go and we can actually look and see the village <laughs> through Google Earth. We can't see people in the village. We can't make out definite things, but we can see the, the, the open area where the villages is and the buildings that are actually there. And um, what we did to, to, to reach the bomb people, we started in, in Pujahun, which is near the top right corner, and we begin to show the film in, in places without churches there. And gradually we begin to meet people who are from the bomb tribe who weren't living with the bomb people anymore, but were living in these places. And then these people came and they helped us to plant churches all along the coastline and, and into the area that is, um, uh, that is definitively where the bomb people live. And we're going to go a little further this year, and by Christmas we'll have reached everywhere we want to go in that area. And, and the exciting thing there is that we were just told that... Uh, that that they wouldn't be interested. And what we found is that they just had never been told because it was difficult to get there. People hadn't told them. And so because someone financed that and made it possible, these people have heard the gospel um, for the first time. Um, another um, group of people in Liberia is the Mano people. And uh, uh, it, Mano is a secret society people, which means they have... Um, it's it's I wouldn't call it voodoo, but it's kind of voodoo. It's kind of uh, tribal religion. It's kind of a mix of things, and it's very hard... Um, to to uh, to leave that belief system or that uh, and it's very hard to admit to leaving that system and so um, we, we've been working a long time in the Mano area but in the last four years we've been able to plant all of a sudden things are beginning to change and we've had like Jesus film shows a, a, of, of like five and six thousand people which I've never I've never heard of that or I've never been to something like that before. And now the response hasn't been really great because people don't want to come forward. But as our team members have followed up the people in the villages, they've begun to run into a lot of people who've made decisions. And we've been able to plant, I think, about 50 to 60 churches in the last four years among the Mano people. And uh, we have a short video clip of one of the, one of the really cool things about this is that we, we, get, we get these stories. On a, every, every month we get a whole, well, it's, it's in digital form, so it's not, it's not a stack of paper. But we get all these stories from the field, and it's fantastic. And so maybe we can just play the video of, the, uh, of that first video. My name is Samuel Duru. I want to thank God so much. We were in a Dallas society. And uh, we, I never knew anything about the Word of God. Because of the grace of God, 
And now I am not part of the Gallic society again. Jesus has saved him through the Jesus name. I have, come, I have come now to the light. I was in the darkness before, but I have now come to the light. I am in town. I sit lonely. I just give praises to God. For me to see myself in the house of God, to receive Jesus by myself, I want to say thank God so much. The only place to be is in the house of God, in Jesus. I, the word is meaningless even if you have anything in this world it is meaningless but when you have Jesus you have something very important in your life not in my heart but as I, I have believed in Jesus Christ I believe that I have more even as I'm sitting I don't have clothes but so long I have Jesus I have more than clothes mm. I want to thank God so much uh, through the Jesus thing, church planting strategy. They are coming here, a branch released to, to my life, and now I'm a Christian. We just, I was just in darkness, in the mm -hmm. world, in the daily society, but Jesus has brought me to light. The only place that you can be to know that yes indeed you are free, you get light, you get life is only in Jesus Christ. So thank you so much. God bless you. I want to be blessed to God. I want to bless God for Jesus' name team. Thank you. I know Jesus now personally. So thank you. So so we get to we get to um, I should remind you to turn off your phones, except that was my phone that was ringing. <laughs> I'm not sure who's calling me this morning, but maybe I'm supposed to be at another church. I don't know for sure. Um, you know, we just hear these stories all the time, and and I, I really I really love the work that's happening in Liberia and Sierra Leone because we're working with these groups that that right now no one else is reaching out to them. But I have to admit I have a special love for the for the uh, for the gain water for life side of it because we get to bring the water, which which literally changes lives for so many people. It, it just it changes the horizon for so many of the young women, what, they, what their potential is, what they can do in the future, and it changes their health, and, and then we get to bring the film in after they've seen the water, and it just, there's so much joy and excitement. So I have a, just a short video clip of that also. And this is among the Fofoldi people in, um, in Benin. This was the scene at Chabi Paru's deep-capped water well. A young girl from the local church suddenly turned her water jack into a drum and started to sing. Soon, the whole group of villagers joined her in singing, clapping, and dancing. Villagers were joyfully singing, Jesus in heaven sees us and promises to come back to us. This village in northern Benin was a part of an unreached people group that speaks a language called Fafude and primarily farms and keeps livestock. 
The area is dominated by severe water scarcity as well as the religion Islam, with at least one mosque stationed in every village. A half a kilometer walk to a pit containing murky brown water was filled with sticks and debris that they used as their old water source. After seeing this water again, one mother said, When we see this, we remember our suffering. This water used to make them extremely sick, causing diarrhea, vomiting, and skin irritations. It was so undignifying to have to bathe their children in the same water that their animals used. In 2015, Global Aid Network partnered with Pastor Lu Chen, a local pastor who has been working in this area of Benin for many years. When he began working in Chabi Paru, it was evident that the lack of clean water was a prominent issue. Thankfully, Gain was able to provide a well for the village which drastically improved the health and well-being of the entire community. Because of the new well, the villagers have been given a renewed sense of dignity and hope and they are deeply thankful. Although the Fufude people were once unreached by the gospel and steeped in hardship, God has been faithful to draw them to himself. Today the hand pump is providing beautiful clean water for the people to use. The spiritual transformation was incredible. After showing the Jesus film to 395 villagers, 77 of them became Christians and 27 of these new believers chose to receive follow-up discipleship. Pastor Lucien went on to plant a church in the village that now gathers by the well. The people love being able to sing their own songs of worship together near their beloved water source, as it serves as a powerful symbol of God's love and provision for their community. You know, I just, uh, um, for me, it's, um, you know, I'm just a farm boy from Dawson Creek. I don't, most people don't know where Dawson Creek is. It's not the TV show. It's this little place way in northern BC. And, uh, and it amazes me that I get to see these things. And I get to hear these things, and I get to be part of these things. And so it's, it's, it's a real privilege. And I just was going to mention one other thing that I remembered listening to this is that uh, the, um, one of the, we've been working with the Maasai people, uh, a certain, certain segment of them in, in Tanzania. And um, this one village where we were trying to, um, to we went into dig a well, they told us that the government has tried seven times to get water here, and you will not get water here. And they, our team was mocked, and they laughed at our team the whole time, and we got water. And the, the, the um, chief just fell to his knees and started crying when he saw the water. And so it's um, just, you know, that, that, that's, uh, that's God at work. And we're so thankful for that. So Julie and I are so thankful for our involvement with GAIN. Um, and thank you for uh, being able to give me the chance to share that. Um, I've also been asked to preach this morning, which is unfortunate for you. Um, <laughs> but uh, I'm, uh, I was, uh, I, the, I've come up with a title for my talk. It's Three Amigos of the Middle, Act, of Middle Acts. And so uh, when I was, um, I was reading in, um, in the scriptures uh, during my quiet time about, uh, I don't know, four weeks ago, I guess, or something like that. And as I was reading, I read this, this passage, and, and it said, I think it was in Acts 11, it said, And Barnabas went to Tor, uh, Tarsus for Paul. I thought, what? I've never read that before. I've read this book many, many times. What do you mean he went to get Paul? Like, why would he go to get Paul? What was Paul doing there? Now, I should know this. I've studied these books, and I just had never remembered seeing that before. Now, you're all probably saying, yeah, we knew that. that we all know that. But I hadn't seen that before, and it just, I just felt that God wanted me to explore that further. And so what I want to share this morning is just um, a lot of scriptures, and, uh, and I don't really have a... There's no three-point message here. This is good, because I told Chris this will make him look good as a pastor. 
But I'm just going to share a little bit about just a couple of things that God has been teaching me as I, as I read these scriptures. And, uh, and I hope that, and I think this will be more of, maybe I'll start with prayer. And I'm going to ask God to, to show you what he wants you to learn through this. Because I don't have a real, real strong three or four point message here. I just have what God has been teaching me as I work through this, this passage of scripture. So let me play. Let me pray. Father, thank you for uh, this morning. We pray that as we read your word, that uh, your word would speak to us. Amen. Okay, so the, the three amigos of, of Middle Acts are Paul, Barnabas, and a, a, a man named John Mark. And I think everyone knows who Paul is. I don't know if everyone knows who Barnabas is and who John Mark is, but we're going to get to that. Um, we'll mo- mostly look at Paul because, of, you know, as of course you realize, Paul is kind of the, he's kind of the hero of Acts. I mean, well, Jesus is the hero of Acts, but Paul is kind of a pretty important person in Acts. And he's a pretty important person in the whole New Testament because of the books he writes and... and um, and how God uses him. But we want to look how these three people interact, intersect uh, through these middle uh, chapters of Acts. Uh, so kind of as a background, Paul is born in Tarsus. Now, I'm going to say Paul and Saul interchangeably because I just get them mixed up because the New Testament uses them, Acts uses them that way too. Saul is a Hebrew name for Paul. Paul is the Greek name for Saul, I guess, for, for the, is, is, the, is the Greek name. And he, in the Acts, he's pretty much Paul until the first mission, or Saul until the first missionary voyage, and then he becomes, then they use Paul after that. And I'm not sure why, but that's the way it works. And so I'll be kind of mixing those two together. Uh, he's born in Tarsus. Um, uh, he is, uh, he's likely born around AD 5, uh, 5 AD or so. He's an Israelite. He's from the tribe of Benjamin. He's a Roman citizen. Uh, he's trained as a Pharisee by Gamaliel, uh, and he first shows up in the Bible in an abrupt way in Acts chapter 7, and it's an abrupt way because in Acts chapter 7, the, uh, the people who've just finished stoning St- Stephen bring their cloaks and put them at Paul's feet, indicating that they, that they did it under Paul's authority or did it under his motivation, but that he's the one who's given credit for this great act that they've done, which is killing this blasphemer. blasphemer. And so that's where Paul kind of pops into the story. And then in, in, in Acts 8, Paul is, is noted as the one who is now going around and, and ravaging the churches and trying to put people thrown in jail. And, and he's causing all sorts of problems, even to the point that, that many of the Christians, of the followers of Jesus, have to leave Jerusalem at that point. They go to other cities to avoid what's going on. And so then um, this story kind of takes a, a different turn when Paul um, asks permission from the chief priests to go to Damascus. And what he wants to do in Damascus is he wants to, um, is he wants to uh, uh, imprison the people there and bring them back to Jerusalem for trial and basically do the same thing in Damascus that he's been doing in Jerusalem. And uh, so he gets his permission, and when he's on the way, um, and you, you all know this story, he, he encounters Jesus, uh, he, he loses his sight, um, and, and, God's, and Jesus speaks to him and says he has a plan for, for Saul's life, for, for Saul's life. And that Saul needs to continue to go into Damascus where he'll re- meet Ananias, and Ananias will, will help him. So that's where we pick up the story. And uh, it says, uh, I remember, like I said, I'm going to do a lot of reading, so please do a lot of listening, but please do active listening and just ask what God wants to say to you through, the, through what I'm reading. So An- Ananias departed and entered the house, and after laying his hands on him, said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you are coming, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like fish scales fell from his eyes, and he regained his sight, and he got up and was baptized, and he took food, and he was strengthened. Now for several days he was with the disciples who were in Damascus. 
And immediately he began to proclaim Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He is the Son of God. All those hearing him continued to be amazed and were saying, Is this not the one who in Jerusalem destroyed those who called on this name and had come here for the purpose of bringing them bound before the chief priests? But Paul kept increasing in strength and confounding Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Christ. When the many days had elapsed, the Jews plotted together to do away with him. But their plot became known to Saul, and they were also closely watching the gates day and night so they might put him to death. But his disciples took him at night and led him down through an opening in the wall, lowering him in a large basket. When he came to lowering him in a large basket. When he came to Jerusalem, he tried repeatedly to associate with the disciples, and yet they were all afraid of him, as they did not believe that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took hold of him and brought him to the apostles and described to them how he was seen, how he had seen the Lord on the road, and that he that he had talked to him, and how he had spoken out boldly in the name of Jesus at Damascus. And he was with them, moving about freely in Jerusalem, speaking about boldly in the name of the Lord. And he was talking and arguing with the Hellenistic Jews, but they were attempting to put him to death. Now when the brothers learned of it, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him away to Tarsus. So the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria enjoyed peace as it was being built up. And it continued in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. It kept increasing. Now this act in Acts makes it seem like it's only a few months between when Paul becomes a believer and when he's back in Tarsus. But it's actually about four years um, between his, his conversion and when he's back in Tarsus. And to get a better, you can get kind of a better time, a timeline by reading the, um, I think Galatians, is it Galatians primarily, but there's a number of books that will give you a better time, uh, understanding of the timeline involved here. Um, but Paul be, be, uh, becomes a follower of Jesus. Um, he spends a short time in Damascus, only a few weeks, and then he goes to Arabia probably for about three years to study, basically probably to try and understand Jesus in the light of the Old Testament because, of course, that is the Jewish scriptures and the only scriptures available at that time to them. And uh, then he goes back to Damascus with a full understanding of how Jesus fits into the Jewish scriptures. And he's arguing in Jesus and doing, doing so well that his opponents can't really think of any arguments left to deal with this guy. So they say, well, there's no, nothing we can do except kill him. And so they plan to kill him. And anyways, they get him. Um, they, they get him out of the city, and um, and uh, he he goes to Jerusalem. He starts to do the same thing in Jerusalem, and he gets the same results. And he wants to meet up with the other disciples in Jerusalem, but they don't want to have anything to do with him because they don't really trust him, and they're not sure what he's doing. Is he trying to cause riots? What, what, what's his what's his real plan in all of this? By the way, some of this is biblical speculation, which which uh, so allow me a little, a little freedom there. I don't know what they're thinking for sure, but they definitely don't want to have anything to do with him. And, um, and so this is where Barnabas comes in. And Barnabas goes and finds Paul, and he builds a relationship with Paul, and then he brings Paul back, into, uh, back to the disciples and, and, and basically builds a connection between them. And, and Barnabas facilitates all this. And, um, and then... Uh, so that, that relationship is built, but, but Paul is still out preaching the gospel and, and preaching Jesus is, is, is God. And so uh, they're going to kill Paul in Jerusalem too. And so the, they, he gets sent home to Tarsus. And the interesting thing is after he's sent home to Tarsus, it says that, the, uh, that things got better in Jerusalem and things continue to grow in Jerusalem. And um, I, I, would, I would maybe mention a couple of things here that, uh, that, again, this is maybe a bit of speculation, but... But I feel like Paul is kind of being sent home here. I feel like the disciples are kind of saying, we don't know what to do with him either. But he's kind of making a mess of things. We've got some good stuff going on here. And uh, the church is growing and things, good things are happening. So let's send him home. And Tarsus wasn't really that big a deal. It wasn't where you, want, where you should get sent. 
if you're an aspiring new leader. But, but they sent him home, and they just kind of forgot about him there. And, uh, and he's there, and, and you get, reading the book of Acts, you get the sense that he's, well, he's there only three, three pages, right? But he's not. He's there for about eight to ten years. And uh, it's a long time, and, and, um, and the, the thing that, uh, that, I was kind of, that I was kind of thinking about as I read that is um, a lot of times we're doing things that we're doing things for the Lord, and uh, sometimes it's going really well, and sometimes we get sent home. And I can think even in, in my situation, there was, I had one director who essentially sent me home. And uh, it was kind of discouraging, kind of, kind of uh, defeating. And I wanted to do the Lord's work, and I got sent home. And I don't know if you can relate to that. I don't know if maybe you tried to be a Sunday school teacher, and the Sunday school just kind of sent you home. Or they said, you know, maybe, you know, maybe you'd be better at this, or maybe you'll just do name tags or whatever. And, and, and sometimes, well, I, you know, some, I can't do name tags. Because no one can read my writing. I can't even read my own writing up here. So that's why, that's why I'm struggling along. And so, you know, sometimes we just get sent home. And sometimes we get forgotten about. But, uh, but God didn't forget about Paul. And God didn't, God didn't, he never got lost in, in, in God's train of things. Um, and I guess I also want to just, uh, just come make a comment on the person of Barnabas. And, and that character and that need for those people in the church who will go and find the people who other people don't want to bring in and bring him into fellowship. And you know, some of you are those people. And we need to celebrate you because you're doing some of that important work to bring in people into the church who, who other people can't bring in. Uh, we reconnect with uh, Saul and Barnabas in Acts 11. So, um, so Acts 11, uh, 19 to 26. So then those who were scattered because of the persecution that occurred in connection with Stephen made their way to Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except to the Jews alone. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who came to Antioch and began speaking to the Greeks as well, preaching the good news of the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a large number who believed turned to the Lord. The news about them reached the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas off to Antioch. Then when he had arrived and witnessed the grace of God, he rejoiced and began to encourage them all with resolute heart to remain true to the Lord. For Barnabas was a good man and full of the Holy Spirit and faith. And considerable numbers were added to the Lord. And, he, and Barnabas left for Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. And for an entire year, they met with the church and taught considerable numbers of people. And the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. Um, this, is a, this is kind of an interesting passage in that it, uh, it jumps back a few years to the stoning, to, to the stoning of Stephen to remind people that the, the church had kind of scattered out. And then it talks about how well the church in Antioch is, is doing. And so they send, they send Barnabas up there to look at things. And Barnabas is a, is a, is, is a leader. Barnabas is a respected leader. Barnabas is, a, is um, someone as is, is a man of faith, a good man, full of the Holy Spirit. And uh, when, when Barnabas sees what's going on, he doesn't say, you know, I can do this on my own. I'm a, I'm, I'm a good man. I'm full of the Holy Spirit and faith. I can do this. But he looks, he, he looks for people. And the one person he thinks about is he thinks about Paul. And so Barnabas actually goes to get Paul, which is, which is quite remarkable. I know leaders who would never do that. And I know other leaders who would. And I know which ones I like to work with because they're the ones who understand that God works through many people in many different ways. And so Barnabas goes to find Paul. And um, I think we have a map of that. Just, just so for those of you who want to know, um, you can see Tarsus up in the uh, kind of the corner of the Mediterranean there. And, and then a, uh, a short distance away is, is Antioch. Well, it's not actually a short distance. It's about 250 miles. And so I don't know how long that took, and I don't know how safe that voyage was, but it wasn't like he just drove across the city and said, hey, Paul, come and check this out. But he took days, uh, weeks, months, to get to where Paul was. 
and, and, and to bring him back. And so it wasn't a, a simple thing for Paul to go to, Ant, go, to, go to uh, Tarsus. Um, the, the other thing is that, uh, again, just, just kind of a reminder is that, that, that Paul's been there eight to ten years. It doesn't tell what he's doing or how he's doing. It just says he's at Tarsus. We don't know if he has, you know, you know, Paul or Saul's pop-up tents or a big thing in the city or, or what he's doing for sure. And we don't actually know what would have happened to Paul if Barnabas hadn't gone to get him. We don't know if Paul would have just disappeared and dropped off the pages of, of the New Testament. We really don't know. Um, but Paul um, was found by Barnabas because Barnabas is that type of person. He went and, he went and got him. And I just think that's a great story. I, I, I'm, I, <laughs> I love this story. In Acts 12, 12, then we, we now meet the third, the third amigo, John Mark. Peter was being jailed by Herod, and since Herod has just... Oh, I'll read Acts 12, 12 for you. When Peter realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark. And um, uh, Peter... Um, Herod has just killed the disciple James. Peter thinks his time is up, and he's in jail, and God delivers him from jail. That's in Acts 12. And so he goes to, uh, to a family friend, and the family friend, ha- family friend happens to be the, the parents of, of Mark. Or John Mark. And why is that important? Well, there is an important Mark in the Bible. And most people believe that John Mark is the Mark who wrote the Gospel of Mark. And so you, you, you have him coming into the story. So you have these three very interesting characters in the story together. And we see them in the same place at the same time, finally, in Acts 12, 25 to 13, 1 to 5. So I'll read that. I think we're at the, the, next, the next slide. There we go. And Barnabas and Saul finished, returned when they had fulfilled the mission to Jerusalem, taking with them John, who was also called Mark. And so what, what you've missed there is they go to, to Jerusalem to have a discussion with the disciples about certain important matters. And they return, they bring John with them when they return. Now there were prophets and teachers at Antioch, and the church there was Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manian, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, Tetrarch and Saul. While they were serving the Lord and fast, and the Holy Spirit said, Set Barnabas and Saul apart for me for the work which I have called them. Then when they had prayed and fasted and laid hands on them, they sent them away. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. When they reached Salamis, they began to proclaim the word of the God in the synagogues of the Jews, and they also had John as their helper. So basically they, they, they embark on a, a one-and-a-half-year voyage. Uh, they take John Mark with them. They go to Cyprus first. And they do church planting work together until they reach Perga. And then it says, Now Paul and his companions put out to sea from Paphos and came to Perga and Paphilia. But John had left them and returned to Jerusalem. And we're not really sure why John left to return to Jerusalem. We're not sure whether he just got tired. We're not sure if he got sick or he just didn't want to do it anymore or it just didn't fit his character. But we know that John kind of fails or falls out at this point with Paul. He does, he does what... Paul doesn't want done. And the other thing that's interesting at this point in Acts, it's always Barnabas who's the leader. At this point, Paul becomes the leader whenever, whenever he's mentioned. And Paul kind of takes over the leadership of, of the missionary work, that's, especially the missionary work to the Gentiles. But, but John Mark disappears, and, and has he failed? Um, maybe he was called back to Jerusalem by the Holy Spirit. And sometimes people, we, we think people are falling out, and they're really not. Um, if this is the John Mark who wrote the Gospel of, of Mark, and we really believe it is, um, this is an important step for him to be back in Jerusalem with Peter. This is, this is important. I don't think he went to be back with Peter necessarily, but is this the God's Holy Spirit orchestrating it that he can be back there to do the things he needs to do to spend that time with, with, uh, with Peter? Well, we can look at that as a fail, but is it a fail? 
And we can judge other people as this person has failed, this person didn't complete the journey, but God has a plan for people's life, and God is working through people in different ways. And so I just want to encourage you in that to, to not be quick, not be quick to decide what's a fail and what's not a fail. Um, let, me, let me go a little further here. I'll show where, uh, just kind of finish this story, Acts 15, 36 to 41. And after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let's return and visit the brothers and sisters in every city which we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. Well, Barnabas wanted to take John, called Mark, with him also. So obviously Mark is back in, in uh, Antioch. But Paul was of the, of the opinion that they should not take him along. Uh, they should not take along with them this man who had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. Now it turned into such a star- sharp disagreement that they were separated from one another, and Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and left after being entrusted by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. And he was traveling through Syria and Cilicia and strengthening the churches. Um, So they plan a second missionary voyage. There's a disagreement over John Mark. Uh, They decide to go separate ways because they can't solve the disagreement. And so again, is this this a blight on the church? Is this bad? I don't know. You know, if if they hadn't gone separate ways, they wouldn't have, they would have accomplished half as much. And if they had, if they had taken Barnabas and and uh, John Mark with them, would we know who Timothy was? Would they, would they have had room to pick, take Silas and pick up Timothy? And again, I just encourage you to just be in prayer in, in terms of the work of the church. and not this, this is what God has said to me through this. It's just to be in prayer in terms of the work of the church and what God is doing. And not to try and make judgment on the individual things that are taking place. Because we don't really know what God is doing here. We don't know whether it's a carnal response or God's just using their response to, do, to accomplish the things that he wants to accomplish. Anyways, this is the last we hear of Barnabas, but it's not the last we hear of John Mark. Paul refers to Mark positively in Colossians 4, and then in 2 Timothy 4.11, near the end of Paul's life, he writes, Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful to me. And uh, kind of a closing of that, uh, of that relationship. Um, so those are the scriptures that I found myself studying for a period of time, um, you know, just three to four weeks ago, and just trying to figure out what, what God was teaching me. And, and again, I don't really have a a long sermon on this because I don't know what God is really teaching me yet through this. I know that the, the things that I, I'm reminded of is that there, that there are different people with different gifts, but everyone has a role to play. Uh, Paul is the hero. He's the leader type. Um, but uh, without Barnabas, would there be a Paul? And where, where would Paul be without Barnabas? Tarsus? Maybe. <laughs> he might still be there. Um, and Barnabas's role, people-oriented and encourager, is not a lesser role. It's just not the same role. Um, and obviously, uh, and John Mark, did he quit them or did God bring him in order to write the Gospel of Mark? I, I don't think Paul would have been able to write it. I don't think Barnabas would have, would have been able to write it. But John Mark could write it. And he wrote the Gospel of Mark. And we're obviously very thankful for that. Um, I, just some other thoughts which I've said already. A negative moment can, can, uh, can maybe be of great importance in God's plans. Uh, we don't know what God is doing, so we just need to trust and pray. And, in, and I think we need to encourage one another just to continue on. We, um, we, do we, so do we trust God to do things in his way? Um, you know, I can think of times in my life where, um, where I, I think I went to something one day called, a, one weekend called Emerging Leaders. I was so proud. You know, <laughs> I was an emerging leader. <laughs> and, and uh, you know, it, it was just a conference. And um, I wasn't, you know, I was just the same person before and after. And, and, uh, and you know, um, and I, like I said, I can think of times where I was essentially sent home. 
And, uh, and you know what? God, God didn't abandon me, and someone else came along and picked me up and encouraged me. And, and I think that's what we need to do for one another. And I really encourage in that, that we're all, that we all, you just have unique gifts and you have unique abilities. And I know this is nothing new, but this is what God has been reminding me of as I've gone through the scriptures. And so I want to finish with just a couple more scriptures for you. Um, I, I, think the, I think the real question I need to ask myself regularly is, am I faithful to who God has made me? And I am faithful to where he has put me. And I don't need to worry about the rest all the time. God, is, you know, God was sovereign in the way he made me, the way he put me together. He's sovereign in the things that have happened in my life, even the recent things that have happened in my life. God is still sovereign, and I can trust him in every area. And God is sovereign in your life, and you can trust him in every area. Um, just some, some kind of thinking about all these things, I kind of came to something else Paul had written in 1 Corinthians, and I think many of you are very familiar with this passage, but he writes, for just as the, in Corinthians, uh, 1 Corinthians 12, 12 to 20, he says, For just as the body is one, and yet has many parts, and all the parts of the body, though they are many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one spirit we are all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, we are all made to drink of one spirit. For the body is not one part, but many. If the foot says, because I am not a hand, I am not a part of the body, it is not for this reason any less a part of the body. And if the ear says, because I am not an eye, I am not a part of the body, it is not for this reason any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole body were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? But now God has arranged the parts, each one of them in the body, just as he desired. If they are all one part, where would the body be? But now we are many parts, but just one body. So I just, yeah, so I just encourage you to, uh, yeah, to, I think the, the message for me, again, is just to be faithful where, I, where, where God's put me. And I think of the, just a final passage, uh, Colossians 3.23, whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord and not for people. Um, people will lead you all kinds of ways, so focus on the Lord and just, just do what he's called you to do where he's called you to be. Let me pray. Father, I uh, just thank you. Um, we just thank you that uh, um, you're sovereign that uh, none of us are an accident, that, uh, that uh, um, we, are best, um, we are best fulfilled and give you the greatest pleasure when we're simply serving in the way you called us to serve and we're being the people you've called us to be. And so I pray for uh, each of us, Lord, that we would hear your voice and we'd faithfully do what you call us to do. And we just praise you and thank you. And thank you for this church, this beautiful place, and we thank you for all your goodness. And pray your, um, just pray you'd be glorified in everything we do. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. What the Lord is doing 